This week's guest is Matt Hassan, who joins us from Kelowna, British Columbia. Matt has had over a 20-year career in the industry when he started out as a barback and moved on to bartending, managing, and currently as a head bartender. Matt has successfully worked his way up to being one of the top 10 bartenders in Canada through Diageo World Class. Matt is also a recipient of a kidney transplant five years ago after living with kidney disease for over a decade. Matt discusses how overcoming his health issues have helped him to focus on his career. Currently, Matt is working as the head bartender at Skinny Duke's Glorious Emporium in Kelowna, and you can find him on Instagram at matt.tender, and check out the show notes for the links and more information. Enjoy the show. We are back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. I'm your host. Dan Soretta is the producer extraordinaire of the show. What is happening, man? Uh, not too much. <laughs> it's a standard weekend of all in my life. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about it at all? Nope. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Dan had a night on uh, Friday night. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> at, yeah. at my bar, in fact. Babylon yeah. Sisters Wine Bar, Uptown Waterloo. Wine, cocktails, beer. All Everything you need is at uh, Babylon Sisters Bar Uptown. We have a Big New Year's event coming up featuring Mary Catherine Palazzo in the early part of the evening with a wine and food pairing deal there. And then myself and Dan are going to make a glorious return to our DJ roots and close out the night. Yeah. So you're going to want to check that out. Larry Ward and DJ Mittens. I'll try to drink a little bit less on New Year's than Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to check that out on New Year's. And then, of course, if you're in downtown Kitchener, my other... Bar is Sugar Run Speakeasy. That's in downtown Kitchener. And uh, we also have Brownman Ali's band playing on New Year's Eve. Uh, you can check Eventbrite for tickets coming up shortly for that. It's at Babylon Sisters Bar and at Sugar Run Bar. You can find out all the events that are happening there. And uh, yeah, come support local business if you're in Kitchener, Waterloo. The kegs, they got enough money. Yeah. Yeah, they don't need your help. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a great guest as always joining us in just a second. Matt Hassan will be with us from Kelowna, BC. Before we get to him, we should mention, if you like what we're doing here on the show, the best way to support us is to subscribe, rate, and review. I keep telling you this because we really want you to do it. So just smash that subscribe button. If you want to post a little five-star review for us, if you think we've earned it, that helps tremendously. Mm -hmm. The artwork that gets done for our Instagram page is done by Zach Hanna at zachhanna.co. So you're going to want to check him out uh, for all of your graphic arts needs. He does tremendous work. He's a creative genius, that little that little Zach Hanna. Sure is. And she's not that little. He's a big dude. Uh, I didn't mean to insult you, Zach. <laughs> Anything else we need to plug? Oh, yeah. If you want to be a guest on the show, the best way to get a hold of us is to DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram or if you want to email us directly. It's info at the industry club. That's also where you're going to want to go for any potential sponsorship. Matt Hassan's with us. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good. How are you guys? We are all right. You know, right, getting you. Love that. thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. This is really mm -hmm. kind. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Of course. So you're coming to us from Kelowna. What's, uh, what's the scene out in Kelowna, BC these days for uh, weather bars, however you want to, whatever you want to talk about. Ah, let's see. Kelowna is growing in the cocktail game the last uh, five or six years. It's a lot, of, a lot of bartenders have stepped up. A lot of places have actually got cocktail and mixology involved. Um, a lot of bartenders are coming to Kelowna for the reaches of 
you know, fruits, veggies, farms, all that sort of stuff, the wines, the distilleries, the breweries, it's growing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And you actually have been one of named one of the top 10 bartenders in Diageo world class, right? In the last Canada? two years. Yeah. 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 Two years. So how did, how did, like, how does one go about receiving an award like that? Do you have to, uh, do people seek you out or you enter a competition or how does that it's, work? Yeah. So it's uh Diageo world class is a global cocktail competition. There's three top competitions in the world, one being Patron, um, one being Bacardi, and then Diageo is the global front runner. So it's an open invitation to any bartender in whatever country takes place. Uh, you get through the entry rounds, and then you go to the regionals, and then you get wired down to top five in East and West. And then they come together for the national finals somewhere in Canada. It's by either pure luck or or fortunality or humbling, it's uh, been been named one of Canada's top 10 bartenders the last two years. So it's pretty cool. It's amazing. Well, in my experience, that's very rarely luck. So I, I appreciate your <laughs> humble your humbleness there. But uh, uh, yeah, it's okay. You're, you're okay. It's okay to say you're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about how you got into the business originally. Maybe give us the roots of uh, your first couple of jobs, how you started sure. in the business, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, uh, I got started as soon as I turned 19. I figured uh, getting into a bar would be a great place to meet girls. 19 uh -huh. years old, one of those key things, great place to meet people, it became social. And that just kind of like worked my way through university. So I worked at a, a couple pubs, like local pubs. And then when I was going to university, the bar up there needed a bartender. So it was great to work there. A couple nightclubs and then off and on just kind of around the world, basically. It's... Uh, Helped open a bar in Nicaragua, which was really cool about seven years ago. Okay, let me just stop you right there before you go yeah. any further. How does that come to be? Like, how, like, you're working in, are you, where did you grow up in BC? I grew up in, yeah, I grew up in Vancouver. Okay, so you yeah, grew up in Vancouver. How do you end up in a opening a bar in Nicaragua? What's the story behind <laughs> well, that? Well, we were following, I was living on the, I was living on Vancouver Island, um, and we were following this uh, a friend of mine, she has a yoga page and she lived in San Juan del Centro or San Juan del Sur in Nicaragua. She had a posting come up on one of her on one of her blogs saying her friend Jackson uh, is looking for a restaurant manager for a boutique surf hotel he just opened. And so I thought, what a really good opportunity. So I, I messaged her and I got his co his contact information and we spoke for a couple of weeks, liked what I did. So he came to set, offer me a contract to come down and help him open up a open up a bar in his boutique hotel. Right. So, okay. Uh, what year was that? Sorry. That was 2013. 2013. So like that was around the time that I started because I was, there was a stretch where I was getting over like the local bartending here and I wanted to get yeah. there. I was either going to open my own spot or I was going to go do some like more international bartending. And a lot of yeah. people were telling me about Nicaragua around that time. So the yeah. CMUS had just been just developing around that time. Uh, like I was here in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, yeah. and I, and I've been to Costa Rica and I love it. That's basically where my plan is to end up at in my last few years. But amazing people were just telling me about Nicaragua constantly. Like, Oh yeah. Uh, like cheap standard of living and but also like it was starting to develop as a tourist destination but yes. not not as well known as like a costa rica or like going to places in mexico or whatever right no not at all it's um like i went i first went to costa rica uh about 2005 and then when I went to Nicaragua in 2013, it felt like Costa Rica was in 2005. Right. Yes, exactly. So yeah. it, it was just kind of like that on that come up of like, 
hey, we're interested in bars. I mean, the national drink, Florida Canya, if anybody wanted to open up a bar, their contact for the one of the best rums in Central America, they were down to help out anybody. They would put their name on stuff. They would purchase stuff for you because having Florida Canya rum is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were really, really helpful in that. Right. Yeah. We had um, Jules Ulis. Yeah. She was uh, previously the Florida Can ambassador and she was headed down to Nicaragua to go to the main distillery. And she was talking yeah. about how awesome it is there with the volcanoes. And oh, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. So how long were you there for? I was there for a year and a half. A year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you stay so long? Like, do you have to get like a visa or somewhere? Yeah. So you do. Uh... You have to you have to leave the border because it was just a tourist visa. So you have to leave the border. So you just drop down to Costa Rica for a day and then pop right back. Um, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah, we eventually. Oh, that's right. One of, I heard a guest that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah, and then we had a we, we had our our guy that was he was considered our security guard, our our customs guy. He used to be ex military. So uh, if I needed to like if we wanted to renew our our visa without actually like crossing the border he would just drive we would drive into managua and he would just pay for it to get done oh interesting and so like basically were you trying to bring like a craft cocktail scene to that scenario or is it just like straight bar like what were you mostly doing well we were doing you just wanted to set up a bar that people had drinks they couldn't normally get so just being a, a, a boutique surf hotel we're talking like one of the best waves is put boyo outer reef in nicaragua and that's where the hotel was so you had about four of like the world's best places to surf on the Pacific, like within, within like a half hour drive. Mm-hmm. So people were looking at like basic cocktails, pina coladas that weren't really known, but like, you know, we went to Managua to pick up groceries from the liquor store or the grocery store. And we saw, I saw Clamato, which really? for any, any, <laughs> any, any Canadian, you're like, Clamato, what's this? Talk to the owner of the, uh, of the grocery store. And he's like, we had a Canadian guy order this about two months ago and never came and picked it. It was a whole pallet. So we oh. bought the whole pallet of Clamato. We had Caesars on the beach. Oh, nice. um, yeah, no, it was introduction. And the Nicaraguan workers were like, what are you doing mixing tomato water and vodka? It was pretty funny. Uh, but we had, any any Canadian heard that there were Caesars up on that. They'd come. And we had lots of people come through saying, we heard you had Caesars. So oh, it was a real, really? it was oh, a real trap cool. for Canadians to come up and stay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you do a lot of surfing while you were there? Are you a surfer? Yes, I yeah. am a very bad surfer. I will never be very good. But yeah, me uh, too. you're there every day. You're just in the water. You're having fun. You're knocking your shoulder out. But it was pretty I, fun. It was a really, really cool experience. I literally knocked myself out when I was learning to <laughs> surf. Uh, I was, you know how like the board's tied to your ankle or whatever, right? Yeah. So I was down in Australia at Bonsai Beach and trying to learn with a couple of buddies. And we would, we were all learning together. We didn't take any lessons or shit. So we were yeah. just standing along the beach and like talking to each other about, about like, like what we were doing right or wrong. Yeah. Right. Like just trying yeah. to learn together. And I'm a hand talker as no, <laughs> no one here can see except the two people I'm talking to. But um, so I left, dropped my board to, to explain what I was doing to him. And at that point, this giant wave came up and drove the board right into the bottom of my chin, <laughs> knocked me up fucking cold. So yeah, 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 it was a short surfing adventure, but (laughs) (laughs) okay. So this show is not actually about me. Let's uh, talk talk more about, uh, so you come back from Nicaragua. Why did you decide to come back? I came back. So I've had, uh, I've had kidney disease since about, I was 26. So when I got back from Nicaragua, I was 33. My kidney disease was getting, was getting worse. So I had to leave Nicaragua to come back to Vancouver to go deal with my kidney team. And then I, my, went to a soy use, which is a southern interior town in BC. My folks had retired there. 
So I talked conversation with them about, you know, I've been either traveling or away for the last 15 or so years. So I thought I'd get my kidney team, meet with them, live in a Soyuz, see my parents for a bit because I haven't been really been around. And then just kind of connected there with a kidney team. And uh, that kind of just stayed there for the last five years until I needed a transplant. Right. So that's crazy. You needed a fucking kidney transplant. Like, yeah. Just talk to me a little bit about like where your head's at when something like you've been dealing with this disease for so long and yeah. thinking you can probably just manage it, I'm assuming, is what your thought process is. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, no more. You're going to have to get a fucking transplant. That must be scary as shit. It was, uh, it, it was very scary. It was uh, dealing with. Like I've, I've been a type one diabetic since I was seven. So health and watching myself over the years has always been at the forefront of what I'm doing. Um, but kidney disease on top of that is very, very difficult. So uh, when you have kidney disease, you're not allowed to eat um, anything healthy because your kidneys process everything. So as a diabetic, you're eating whole grains, you're having um, whole wheat and healthy things, but you can't have those foods when you have kidney disease because your kidneys will overwork and then go downhill. Uh, your kidneys are basically your batteries for life. So if I was uh, doing a 10 or 11 hour bartending shift, that was all I had the energy to do, get home, go to sleep, wake up to do it again the next day. Uh, it was, it, it's, it's a lot. And then the foods, <laughs> the funny thing, uh, when I met my, my girlfriend now, it was in a Soyuz and I wasn't allowed to eat basically anything. So my protein allotment for a day was one and a half grams of protein. So what that means is basically the most protein I'm allowed is probably a half of a cheese stick. Jesus. Right? The book of stuff I wasn't allowed to eat, it looked like an encyclopedia. It, you're, you're not allowed to have anything, basically. It's, it's very tough. It's very, very tough. So, I imagine. What are you eating primarily then? Like just, uh... So you're looking at like, so if I wanted a potato, like mashed potatoes, I'd have to boil them four times in order to get the potassium out and the phosphorus out. Oh. Um, you're allowed 125 milligrams of sodium a day. Well, um, and to, 7 a.m. I think most days. Yeah. So like basically a, a piece of bread is 115 milligrams of sodium. So what you end what you end up doing is you have to make your own food. You got to make things yourself because you know what the what the what's going into it, avoiding salt. And that was it was pretty intense for the last two years of kidney disease before it kept going down. So that was very intense. So like I'm kind of curious about this because it's like, like I would feel like I would just get so fucking exhausted that I would mostly just not eat that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, exactly. uh, yeah. It, it's, it's, you need, cause as a diabetic, you need to eat. Right. So like, so you need energy, you need to get through your, your long shifts. And if your blood sugars go low, then you're crashing and you need to force yourself to eat. And it was, a uh, it's a very difficult situation because you have so much work you have to do to eat very few things. And then you, at the same time, you have to bartend for, you know, Fuck, busy settings for like 10, 11 hours. So it was a, it, you it must was really, it was a lot. you must really fucking like bartending because that, it seems like <laughs> almost the worst job that you could be doing. Cause it does take so much energy and you do work long shifts deep into yeah. the night. Like, yeah. For me, it was, uh, the way I described it to people in the last year, uh, when I was, I was functioning on 11% uh, kidney function, uh, for the last year before my transplant. And that's what, I mean, that's what I'm functioning on in liver function, but <laughs> uh, the way I described it to people was bartending was a great distraction. Oh, so okay. at, at work, I'm making drinks, I'm talking to people, I'm being social. Um, and when I'm not at work, I'm at home thinking about, okay, what are my next steps? What are my next blood work? When's all this sort of stuff? So for myself, it was just a great distraction to like get through the day and push myself to, to the next day. Yeah. Now, could you even have like a 
like a bit of a beer or a bit of a drink some like every couple of weeks or anything like that? Or? Yeah. So alcohol, alcohol was allowed, but you weren't, I wasn't going to take any chances on like damaging a kidney. Cause I was, I think my real fear was dialysis. Sure. Um, and that was my real fear because I had to go when you, when you have a kidney disease, when you have kidney disease and you have a, uh, when you go below 20%, they take you to the hospital to get you to meet the dialysis wing and meet dialysis patients. And like as a 37, 36 year old, having to go somewhere for three times a week for nine hours a day was very frightening. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you get okay, let's talk about the transplant for a second. We will yes. we will we will talk about the service industry. That's what the project <laughs> is about. But this is obviously super interesting. Um, yeah. That uh, like when you are so in Canada, you're yeah. now recognized that you need a kidney transplant. Someone's told you that's it. You yes. got to get a transplant, right? So like, yeah. are you are you now on a list or how does that work? So you you go on a list. They give you two options. So you go on a lit, you go on the national transplant list, or you can find a kidney donor. So a right. living donor. Someone um, you know, or yeah, exactly. So I, it took me about two weeks after I got the news that I was down to about twelve percent. Um, went on social media and just said to everybody, "Hey, I've been on this for a while. Just letting you know that this is where I'm at with my kidney disease. If anybody would like to step up to see if they're a match for to be a volunteer." Uh, here's a contact information and phone number in Vancouver. Um, I think a day later, um, it, it it's very humbling to me to think that like I had 14 people that I knew from my entire career that lived around the world asking how they could get involved and what they need to do to get tested. Oh, that's um, amazing. It's, it's a very humbling thing to experience that uh, you've had an impression on people that they're willing to do what, what, what something that's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. crazy to think about. Um, and it turned out, um, that I was driving up to Penticton, um, once a week to bartend at a new car craft cocktail bar that opened up from a soy use. So that was a 40 minute drive every Friday night. It would be that I'd do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, one of the guys that worked there, his name was Josh. I knew him for two months. He stepped up and offered to donate a kidney. Jesus Christ. Like shout out to Josh. Holy fuck. That's incredible. Like, like you, you must have been a little bit overwhelmed by like somebody who you basically worked with for two months saying, yeah. I will give you my kidney. And yeah. like we all, we all know you can live with one kidney, but still that's like, most of us are a little nervous about something like that. <laughs> it was, uh, it's it still to this day is I, my, my life. I, I look at it as November 7th, 2017. Any day after that is, this has all been extra and all oh, because man. of Josh. That's so fucking like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so how has your life changed since you got the kidney? Like uh, with regards to your kidney disease, like, are you still like, have, uh, you're still considered, you're still considered that you have kidney disease. Okay. Um, I'm watched by my kidney team. I've got blood work uh, twice, twice a month and they consistently check the numbers. Um, with COVID that came around, it was very, because when you have a kid, when you have a transplant, you're on immunosuppressants. So your immune system doesn't wake up and realize that's not your kidney. Right. And trying to kind of take it out. Uh, so COVID was a real scary experience for me because I have no immune system. Uh, I avoided COVID for a year and a half, and then last year got it while I was working, and then I was in the hospital for three weeks and almost died twice. So oh shit, man. Yeah. Like holy fuck. And what what about with your diet? Are you allowed to? Oh, crazy! Like the, like the second day after my transplant surgery, uh, they asked my my girlfriend Caitlin if because my potassium numbers were so low because I wasn't allowed to eat real food. So they asked her to go downstairs to grab a bag of salt and vinegar chips, diet Coke, 
and a pepperoni stick. Three things I haven't been allowed to eat eat, eating for five years. That's a whole new world. Greatest joy of my life right there. This is amazing. Well, you, what you should what you should do is try and get really fucking fat now because <laughs> uh, that's a crazy story, Matt. Well, I mean, uh, congratulations on still being around and like, no, no, it's and, crazy. and honestly, from like somebody who's like the reason we do this show in in general and and yeah. like the what I've dedicated my life to is I like I really feel passionate about the service industry. For somebody who's had to go through everything you've had to go through and still want to do this job. You're clearly very passionate about it too. I so it. yeah, and then thanks for stay, sticking with us. <laughs> I appreciate it. This is pretty cool. Yeah, bartending uh, is a pretty good life. Yeah, yeah, it can be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes I want to go back to the bartending part, but <laughs> uh, so, so uh, okay. So now you you got your transplant. You've obviously. Yeah. Now, the good news about the service industry is I'm sure during many of these periods, you had to be completely off work, but you could like somebody who's got your bona fides and credentials can now probably find a job wherever you want. So that's that's the bonus of the service industry. It's not like you've got you're working in a bank and all of a sudden you (laughs) fuck off for a year. Right. Like Yeah. 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 It's just done. Right. So what uh, like when you when you got the transplant, you were back on your feet and able to work again. What did you do next? I uh, went to work in a Soyuz. My friends, there's two bars in a Soyuz. Uh, my friend owns one of them. So when I was was in van for two months getting healed up, and then they allowed me to go back home to relax. Um, after a couple months of that, they said, you can go back to work if you like. So my friend able to set me up at his bar because he needed the help. So I did that for two years. And then uh, my partner wanted to move to Kelowna, bigger city, more spots. Um, a couple of my contacts in Kelowna were had some really good spots um, to to work at, so I was able to just pretty much you know go where I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do. And by really, my real focus after transplant surgery was you know trying to get better each and every day of of for bartending and see what I can do and create a guest experience that's really unique and finding spots that can you know how can I take my game to the next level. That's all it is. And so what's your philosophy when it comes to like creating a cocktail list for a bar that you're like you're the head bartender or the GM of or running or whatever yeah. situation? What like like what do you like to put into a list uh, that you think best expresses your creativity but also serves the guest? For me, it's always been one of purpose and intent. I think when you're creating a cocktail list for your space, you have to understand your space, you have to understand the menu. Um, I have a real big thing with attaching um, story with menu to guests and the kitchen. You kind of want to connect everything together. Uh, we just launched a new menu at uh, Skinny Dukes. Um, and that's what I told the bartenders there when we were designing it was everything has to have purpose and intent. What is the purpose of this drink? And what is the purpose of the garn- a garnish? Do we need a garnish? And what is the intent of this drink? How does it connect to the menu? It's an easy way to relay that sort of story to the guest and story to the server so they understand why this drink is there. Um, and it's more like nostalgia for me. It creates an experience where someone says, hey, can you create something from my childhood? And that's going to bring a guest back and keep bringing them back. Mm, interesting. And so what, like when you moved to Kelowna, like I, we, we touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the yeah. interview, but like, uh, talk to me a little bit about this. Like I haven't been to Kelowna in, since I was in high school. So like, <laughs> what, what are the, what's the scene like? In, and it was, there was definitely no craft cocktailing back then. So talk oh. to me, talk to me about the bar scene in Kelowna and how it's developing. 
Well, the bar scene started, there was two guys, Dave Simpson and Jerry Job um, out of Kelowna. They were, they're pretty much considered the like OGs of, of cocktail bartending. They were the ones that uh, brought recognition from Kelowna down to Vancouver. Jerry Job was the Brown Foreman Jack Daniels rep for years in Vancouver. Um, really, really good human being. Him and Dave uh, really pushed the cocktail movement. Then there was kind of a dead space of about three years-ish in Kelowna. And then just kind of new new bartenders were coming up. And like there started to be Okanagan cocktail competitions from a Soyuz to Kelowna that brought some of the best of us in to meet in a spot and show the Okanagan what cocktails really are. That kind of jump-started the, hey, we need to actually do cocktails, not know something you know margarita based or anything that's really simple something unique flavors and using spirits that are around us there's there's really good spots in Kelowna there's not a lot there's a handful of them but there's really talented bartenders at each one that are kind of bringing that to the game and showing people like how unique cocktail approaches can be seen and used and in Kelowna we've got access to wineries fruits vegetables all within 20 minutes of drive it's crazy right, right? so you focus yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. Uh, so you focus on like sort of an organic approach of like using the the like sort of the natural resources that are around you. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And then you you work with there's a lot of top chefs in the Okanagan Valley that you you'd never even think. Uh, we got a couple that were on Food Network, and their like understanding of food and elements going with drinks is one of the things um, that got me going when I was at, up in Penticton at the craft cocktail bar that opened up the chef there james holmes he he and i connected because he likes weird food and i like weird drinks and that kind of got me on the um momentum of creating these crazy drinks that you don't think exist or the flavors profiles that wouldn't exist but that's kind of what's happening now in Kelowna is you're getting this really great group of like young people like 25 to 33 that are just going crazy with 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 utilization of spirits it's amazing so give us an example of like Something that you consider like sort of a crazy out there cocktail that you've developed. A couple of years ago, I really tales of the cocktail. There was a, there was a bartender named Stephen, and I'm going to forget his last name, but he created a clarified cereal milk punch for tales of the cocktail. I think that was 2015, I think. And I really liked his approach at what he did was trying to grab that flavor of cereal milk. And when I remember a couple of years prior in New York, going to David David Chang's milk bar, they were using cornflakes and milk. So I really wanted to utilize how can we how can we take that approach and do something very different? So one of the drinks that I've really, really love to make it for people is a golden grain uh, clarified cereal milk punch using rum and aged sherry. I mean, when you drink it, it's completely clear, but the flavor profile just in the back is golden grams and it really reaches and pulls people into some sort of childlike experience. That's amazing. That's beautiful. One thing I, we, we've been sort of discussing on the show more recently, uh, what, what's the number of the show again? 136. 136. So like we've had a few, but like as the show's developed, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. It started during the first lockdown of the pandemic because yeah. we needed something to do. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that's developed over the last couple of years, I found with sort of the proliferation of Instagram bartending that was yeah. necessary during the pandemic and now has sort of like veered onto a path of its own separate thing now that bars are yeah. back open again, is how far we can push this craft cocktail in game before there's nowhere left to go. Do you have any concerns about this? I think Instagram bartenders, uh, if they've never worked or stepped behind a bar, I mean, it's you can take a good photo of anything, but you're never going to taste sure. that drink. Yeah. Right. I think pushing what social media is and what it's doing for bartenders is is 
either it can either launch you into something that'd be absolutely amazing, or you're just making things that don't really work on a on a volume level sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I was one of the people you'd mentioned, Kate, being on Drink Masters. I they messaged me before before they shot, and they I went through the three three interview process to be on that show. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah, I didn't make it through the last interview. They were like. It was like, we really appreciate you. We'll probably call you for season two or whatever, if there's a season two. But I ended up watching Watch Drink Masters for the first time last week. And I was like, I'm, I'm happy. I've, I'm, not, I've, I'm not into the drama. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So for me, I watching the bartenders, what they were doing and the technique for me, if there was more experience on technique of what they were util- utilizing instead of the drama, it was great. Right. Well, so we have we have Elisa Dunn on regularly on the show, who's uh, goes by the badass bartender on Instagram. Yeah. She's from uh, Phoenix, and yeah. um, she was also. We were talking with her about the show recently, and what the the thing that we both agreed on is like they don't the judges don't spend an, and like the host don't spend enough time talking about what the process is of the drinks. Like some of the, some of them are doing some pretty fucking cool shit, but they're Crazy not. Shit. Yeah, but they're not but the the host isn't explaining to you what's happening yeah so so like for for people who like some of the stuff i've been bartending for 30 years and some of the stuff i wasn't really sure what they were doing at some (laughs) at certain points right so like so i can't even imagine how like somebody who's never worked in the service industry would have any fucking clue what they were doing so there needs to be more i don't know if they need better hosts but I, I'm available. Elisa's throwing herself out there too. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, I, like it's funny. I'm not a reality show guy. So I, it was yeah. the fir- it's literally the first reality show I ever watched all the way through. And yeah. because it spoke to me in the industry I'm in, but yeah. about Jersey Shore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's snooky. Yeah. Um, oh. But, uh, but was good. what I found was that uh, like it, the, the the way that they operate the reality show is obviously to heighten the drama to suck you in, right? Yeah. So yeah. I like it did suck me in and I kept watching it as a result. But there were so many tweaks I felt we could do with that show that like would make it b- better for us in the service industry, but would it make it better to the average watcher? That's just it. I mean, you're discussing like it most people behind a bar, like what we get on a say a busy Friday, Saturday service is I'm behind the well and my other bartender is beside me. He's handling the people on the wood. Um, people love to come sit right in front of the well and see, because they have no idea what's happening. Right. So when we're, you know, when you're making like unique, unique things, they like to watch and see what's key, what's going on. Um, but that's also a fairly small percentage of people. I think Netflix has to work on what's the larger demographic going right. to want to know more about. Um, and of course, I would love to pick the details of Tao and the way he designs stuff in Montreal. That's a great idea. But I'll, yeah. I'll go sit. I'll go sit at his bar and ask him questions. But what he was utilizing on that show assignment with Lloyd, uh, any of them were just crazy. Uh, the technique is what I really wanted to focus on. Right. And uh, yeah, and I think that like, yeah, if they focused a little bit more on that, maybe it would it would be better suited to us, but maybe not so much to the average viewer. One thing that Lisa and I did discuss was that if you had like a speed round, then that would explain to people a little bit more about what we yeah. actually do. Cause then, <laughs> then they, then they would probably have to like batch some shit and yes. like, and, and I think people would be interested in that process as well. Right. Oh yeah. It'd be crazy. Yeah. I think that by teaching, like there are some bartenders that don't know how to batch properly right. in high volume spots. So it's uh, helping, it's being able to help our industry out a bit, but it's Netflix. 
Yeah, it's Netflix. Yeah, yeah, they're appealing to the lowest common denominator. Time, right? I know, but I like to put myself in that category. Oh, you're going to pull So, where do you see uh, your career going from here? Like, like, so I guess kind of what the thing I was talking about. Like, where do you see the development of craft cocktail and go? Not just with the the Instagram stuff and the garnishing and all that shit, yeah. but like, but like, is there a limit to how far we can take? flavor profiles as well or is there always do you feel like there's always going to be a way you can stretch it a little further i think that there's it's just like tech for me it's the analogy of technology i think it's always going to be growing and moving i think utilizing things the earth is massive and has a bunch of weird stuff weird plants weird veggies weird weird things you can create flavor profiles that are unique you can utilize stuff that uh that hasn't been used yet I'm not saying I know the future, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it keeps continuing. And I noticed over the last couple of years uh, that people have gotten away from, you know, 12 ingredient forever long cocktails and going to more of a simplistic approach, but utilizing really, really difficult techno- techni- technicalities and technical work to get those flavors. So less ingredients, but more of a flavor platform flavor profile yeah I, I like to call that that sort of era there was an era there and i was guilty of it too at my first bar where it was like kind of liquid masturbation where you were just trying to put as many yeah. fucking ingredients into a thing <laughs> so you could put yeah. it on like like in the description of the cocktail it's like yeah but how many of those ingredients actually change the flavor profile <laughs> exactly can you actually taste that yeah 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 <laughs> exactly like the key is if to a good cocktail in my mind is like when, when someone describes what's in it, that you can taste every one of those fucking flavors, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what's next for you? Well, like you're happy with where you're at right now? I know I'm a, we're not trying to uh, get Matt out of the bar he's works at currently. I'm not <laughs> saying that. Your bar looks pretty fucking cool. And uh, you should describe it to the, our listeners as well so they can come see you there. But like, yeah. what, like, what, like what's next on the docket as well? Next on the docket for me is I've been saving since my transplant. It's been saving up to open my own spot. Good for you. That's what it's always been. I Don't wrote, do it. it yeah. I wrote, <laughs> wrote, everybody says don't do it. It's like make me something that'll just make me get by and happy. And stress yeah. at the same time, but like it's it, Kelowna is such a it's it's an emerging market for cocktails, but there it's not quite reaching the levels of outside. So Vancouver is still you know Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, in Edmonton, um, Calgary, they're all doing very great things with cocktails. Kelowna is an emerging market, so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a great space to be able to open something small that doesn't have a lot to do with. It's just basic stuff, but mm-hmm. really unique profiles. So that's eventually what I want to do. I mean, I know um, owning something is a is a nightmare. I've got a lot of friends that own stuff, and <laughs> I watch their headaches consistently. No, I uh, sleep through the night all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but eventually, yeah, eventually, my own place will probably be what I'm focusing on. Saving up for that, at least. Awesome. And okay, so tell our listeners about the bar that you're currently working at while you're trying to save that money, so they can come give you that money to do it. <laughs> Skinny, Duke's, uh, Skinny Duke's Glorious Emporium. It's uh, part of the Nixon Hospitality Group. Really great people, local Kelowna people. They uh, opened up a brewery called BNA. Uh, their next location was Skinny Duke's Glorious Emporium. So it's kind of a 70s, 80s uh, kind of nostalgic feel. It was how they had all their stuff growing up as kids. They had, uh, you've got stuff like, like Star Wars figurines. Uh, we don't have a lot of, uh, it's really unique. It's more like a 70s, 80s rec room sort of thing like your grandma's house mm. that you feel when you go and sit down it's uh brick 
Uh, very well done. The food menu is unbelievable. Um, and it's just a unique, unique spot. We don't have a lot of uh, bottles of beer, which are great. We've got Miller High Life for those great nights. But uh, pretty, uh, pretty cool experience. With if you this, got the, uh, if you got the champagne, what else do you need? Listen, you don't need anything else. It's all you need. Uh, well, we checked it out on uh, Lime before we uh, interviewed you today, and uh, we were both saying it reminds us very much of like one of the classic bars here in Kitchener Waterloo as well that we love. So it looks like a dope spot to work. Killer. Yeah. Okay. Tell our listeners where they can uh, check out your shit on social media because that's the game these days. That is. I uh, find me on Instagram at matt.tender. It's uh that you that's Instagram. That's all you'll find me. Okay. Don't have anything else. Yeah. That's a, that's enough. Like there, yeah. there's too, there's too many. Yeah. Too many. <laughs> you know, your TikTok dances. You do it for your faces. All right, Matt. Well, thanks so much. This was super fun to talk to you. Thanks for doing yeah, it. I really uh, appreciate it. This is really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again. And uh, I'm glad you're doing well. Stay healthy, my friend. Uh, we need people like you in the industry. Appreciate it. Have a good day, guys. Thank you so you much. Too. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye.